Hello and welcome. This is Elite Business Live. It's day two and uh, you're very welcome. Uh, my head is spinning from a brilliant keynote from Sabrina Stocker, who rejoins us. And uh, by the power of event magic, so does our fantastic panel. We'll give them a big round of applause just for getting up onto the stage. It's nice to see everybody. Uh, some legends in the house, and it's a bit of a reunion for some of us. However, I'm meeting Tim for the first time. Tim Hyde, uh, co-founder of TWH Media. You work for these knockout brands in the day, so Lad Bible Social Chain. You're now doing it for yourself, Tim, but give us a sense of the magic. It's about getting people seen. Oh, I don't know if there's any magic to it, but I think, you know, having a pragmatic approach, being in the right place at the right time, you know, making the right relationships has, you know, caused me to do some very cool stuff. And yeah, I've gone from strength to strength, really. Fantastic. So we want your sort of tips and tricks as we go through. Uh, thank you. Let's go right to the end. K Christina Okorocha, uh, thank you for joining us. The, the founder of Vamp Digital. So this is talent and entertainment PR agency, but it's about diversifying yeah. content. So what does that mean? New channels? Yeah, so we essentially authentically help brands to diversify their audience and their reach. I think um, in this day and age, a lot of brands know that, you know, there's more than one type of person that they're trying to market to. And it's important that they get the kind of... Um, the kind of strategy right when talking to black culture. Totally. So, and, and who would be your dream client, just out of interest? Um, well, I feel like we've worked with all of our dream clients really? to like kind of do our own horn. We work with you from like Disney to Warner Brothers to, to, to McDonald's to everybody. So Amazing. Yeah. So you've already spent. Yeah. I, mean, well, some, yeah. I, I might ask others that dream client question <laughs> actually as well. But thank you, Christina. Mm -hmm. um, and I've said that right, haven't I? Um, so Vamp is, is, the, is the agency. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, Flavilla Fongang, how lovely to see you, Flavilla. Merci again, Oli. Comment ça va? Très bien. Bienvenue. Flavilla, if you don't know already, total legend. Uh, Three Colours Rule is her agency. Um, how did you get that started, Flavilla? Did you have a first client? Of course. Yes, I did have a first client, and I think I started my agency out of frustration. Yeah. I was think people were very talented, but didn't know how to create a brand. I always say there's a difference between being a business, a coffee shop, and a brand, Starbucks. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I'm creating legacy, and people can really make a great impact. Yeah, and, and in terms of how that then gets expressed, uh, is there a type of angle that you, type of person you're particularly working with these yes. days? Yes, I work specifically with technology companies, tech startups and tech brands, and that's really where I'm obsessed about making scalable impact and working with Disruptor. Yeah. So that's my sweet spot, the, the, the one who want to change the world in a better place. Right, have you got a dream client? I already have them. <laughs> I have them. God, we're all I right here, aren't we? Jeez, <laughs> ask me that question. <laughs> so, okay, so that's 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 very good. So that's Flavilla uh, Fongang, uh, by no means least. Uh, Jackie Fast, lovely to see you again, uh, Jackie. Nice um, so, so I know Jackie is a bit of a um, legend as well because she built arguably the world's leading sort of sponsorship agency working with literally a who's who of brands and that was Slingshot, uh, Slingshot sponsorship but now it's Sandbox Studios and the word that comes to mind reading about what you're doing Jackie is collaboration. Yeah, it's a venture fund. Um, so it's a, it's a pure play venture fund, but we invest in talent-led startups. So um, most people will think like Casamigos, Aviation Gen, Honest Company. Um, and so we are the only venture fund in the world that is investing at seed stage with those types of businesses. Very cool. So just for our audience, because seed stage can mean different things around the world. So give us a sense of that. Pre-series A. So um, typically we invest in companies that are doing one to three million in revenue um, and that they have to have a talent uh, on as, as as a face or at least the product is talent. Okay, so, so just remind us then, because someone might be thinking, well, aren't all startups talent-led, but you're using talent in a particular Celebrity. way. Celebrity. 
Yeah, not HR. So, um, so when I say aviation gin, it would be Ryan Reynolds. Casamigos would be George Clooney. Uh -huh. So, um, our we we've got. Well, I've just done a deal this morning, but we've got five portfolio companies to date, and we have every everything from an NFT company with Sean Mendez to uh, a snack company with Noah Schnapp, who's from Stranger Things. Wow. So it's it's celebrity-backed businesses, effectively. Okay, okay, so these aren't the celebrity Big Brother contestants. These are not. These are not. <laughs> but they could be. But I mean, it probably wouldn't be something I would invest in. But it's <laughs> it's still within the remit. All right. So how much money have you got, Jackie? If that's not rude. Twenty million. Twenty million. Right there, you go. Right, get the checkbook out. Here we go. <laughs> um, so I want to just understand to start with, and Sabrina, thank you for staying with us from Mexico in the morning. Um, and maybe I know what Sabrina will say, so I'll come to you in a minute. But um, Jackie, when is personal profile valuable for a business leader? I'm not talking about celebrities now, but everything you've seen. And when is it, dare I say, just an ego-driven distraction? Help us navigate. So I personally believe like personal brand is really everything. And I know Sabrina will say the same. Um, but, you know, when I had Slingshot, I started it in my bedroom. Nobody knew who I was. Um, and I really built that business from talking on blogs, doing stuff like this, because it's free marketing at the end of the day. And I, I get the whole ego driven thing. But if you're not willing to kind of promote yourself and be confident in your ability, nobody else is going to be. Right. So let's pause on that, because, Christina, it strikes me that we wouldn't agree to get up on a stage if we didn't, part of us wasn't comfortable with that. So what do you say to leaders who say, look, I am an introvert, I am shy, it's not me. Mm. I don't feel comfortable doing mm. this. I think I was the leader, I was that entrepreneur. Um, Famba's been running for five years and we've only just started doing PR like in the last year because we wanted to build our business and not be seen as, as, as founders who are bigger than our business. We didn't want to be that. So so all the kind of entrepreneurs who kind of think, you know, um, the same way as us, I think you should start thinking in the way of this is actually going to help me build my brand. And if I am not comfortable myself as an introvert, I can maybe get someone senior in my team to speak and stand um, as a brand ambassador for my company. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so, I mean, to what extent, Tim, should individuals be thinking that profile raising benefits them and their life or is about their business? Is there a way we can think about that mix? Oh, good question. I think, you know, there's, there's, it's a marginal gain at the end of the day. If you're getting more eyeballs on your business, if you're getting, you know, you're inspiring people, if you're staying front of mind, that is going to put your, you know, business at an advantage. And I think, you know, um, personal branding means different things to different people. You know, some people wouldn't be comfortable doing, you know, Gary V selfie videos, swearing, you know, being out there all, mm, all places, all things. <laughs> mm. um, whereas, you know, actually distributing blog content, you know, creating things that are very specific to your business are a way of actually just maintaining that kind of consistent touch point through a personal channel. If you look at LinkedIn, just from a very basic standpoint, amplifying content through your personal channel will reach a lot more people through your personal channel than your brand channel. So just you know, from an X's and O's perspective, just by amplifying that creative through your own means uh -huh. is going to get better results. So, so, so I counted the other day, and this isn't a conversation about messaging and inbound comms, but you know, seven different inboxes if you yep. count DMs and WhatsApps and everything else, right? So, Flavilla, you know, let, let, let's say we're buying into this point about raising our brand as an individual, as a company. Breadth or focus when it comes to channel? And I'd like Sabrina's view on this as well. It's a very good question. And at the end of the day, you have to decide exactly 
There's a few questions that you need to think about before you get started into this. And as I say, it can be quite a distraction and you waste your time having a conversation and nothing happens at the end of the day. So you need to figure out why you decide to do it. Are you trying to do it because you want to, there's a bigger picture behind that. You want to change the game, you want to change behavior, or are you doing it as well alongside that would drive opportunities for your business? Think about so, why. Absolutely. So have clarity and I think, you know, it's so easy to get distracted and, uh, and be everywhere. And really think in terms of where do you believe your audience is, is going to be and having clarity. And I always say to people, can you visualize who you want to sell to? If you can't visualize that person or whoever is that group, then you're going to waste a lot of time, you know, uh, trying to be everywhere. All right. And I've tested, but yes. So, so I think that's a good thought on mindset. S Sabrina, case study. I'm selling a new product. Maybe it's in cosmetics or in some form of product. Um, do I double down on one channel or as I'm in um, maybe my experimentation phase, I'll just um, throw a lot of something at the wall, as someone once said, spaghetti, I'm sure. <laughs> Amazing. Um, for something like that, I would say the first thing would be, okay, where are actually all your customers hanging out, just like you mentioned. But on the flip side, what's actually going to stay? What's actually going to convert? So for me, I'd be putting, say, 10 hours of on social media every single week and then actually delegating down to the 80-20 principle and just sticking with the top 20% of which platforms are converting. Okay, would anyone give a slightly different view? Because just going with what works... Yeah, go on, Jackie. TikTok, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, every, every brand that I'm working with that we invest in, that we look at, um, just the conversions on Instagram and Facebook just don't work anymore. And with the iOS update, it's very, very difficult. Um, and I'm not saying everybody should just throw loads of money into TikTok, but that's the only thing that we're, we're seeing that works. Okay, so that is right out in the lead. For me, it's different, I would say, for, for B2B businesses, actually, yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, sorry, LinkedIn. consumer brands I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, so, so let's so just be very clear. Right. So it's like cosmetic right. brand. So TikTok. we'll come on to that. But Christina, got a perspective on the sort of breadth versus focus question? Um, I just think it's about what's the strategy like? What is the goal here? Am I trying to maximise awareness massively or am I trying to actually get data and insights? Mm. Am I trying to understand what my consumer thinks about what I've just put out or am I just trying to maximise and think and just get loads of sales. It all depends on okay, what Okay, so let's say it's that first one. Let's say it's just about sales. That's all I'm yeah, interested TikTok. in. <laughs> yeah, TikTok. It's, it's chill. Literally, okay. all my okay. brands okay. are on chill. All right, yeah. so I've got a recipe box for older people, 60 mm. plus, parsley box as an example. Mm. TikTok it is. Is that all right? Uh, well, do you know what, actually, I, it depends on the audience. You know, if it's for, old, for an older generation, you might think that it might not work on TikTok, but end of the day, it's young people on TikTok who would probably tell their um, parents, grandparents. So what about this? All right, so, so what are we actually talking about here then, Tim? Are we talking about advertising? Are we talking about content creation? Just help me understand and sort of separate the wheat from the chaff. Well, by the sounds of it, it's all of it. You know, I think as a marketing strategy, you want to distribute risk. And, and I think there isn't an exact answer of, you know, being super specific and being, you know, kind of channel agnostic, actually. You know, you have different customers in, in different places. TikTok certainly at the moment has the highest upside from a virality perspective. There is no better algorithm in the world at the moment. And actually in Europe, um, the audience actually skews a little bit older in Europe. So again, you know, we kind of think 12 to 16 in, on TikTok uh, generally, whereas actually in Europe, it's um, the, the segment is actually getting larger 30 plus because, you know, slightly older people are, are getting interested in it and want to know what their kids are doing. Right. So, so but just so I understand, uh, forgive, forgive the ignorance, obviously, target market. Um, 
you can create brilliant content on TikTok. Can. So, so why in 2022 would anyone advertise on social media? Don't, I don't get that. Tell me. From an acquisition perspective, it's still you know, a phenomenal channel. So there are absolutely diminishing returns within Facebook. You know, that's absolutely my specialty. Spent over 100 million on that channel and, and have driven you know, millions of pounds worth of revenue for brands. It's getting tougher and tougher. You know, as um, has been mentioned, iOS updates from an attribution perspective is making it very murky of what advertising is actually moving the needle. So, so why, if you would, why would you advise someone against Facebook to today. Oh, it depends where you're getting the best ROI. So from a TikTok perspective, it's still not the most mature advertising platform. Yeah. What does that mean? What do you mean? Um, so from an insights perspective, from how they, you know, the, the amount of options that they have now, something that TikTok has done much better than Facebook is their customer service, oh. their TikTok reps, the opportunities to get sort of yeah. free media spend, the opportunity to have different ad placements and being a bit more innovative with your advertising. Mm -hmm. And that actually is separating them. And then again, they've got the, the audience that really is growing. And right. So so, so the, the only challenge with this is, anyone in this room that tells people about TikTok, everyone's going to go, yeah, we know about TikTok. Yes. So what's next? What's going to eat TikTok? Jackie. Oh, well, right. Christina, go on. Oh, oh, no, I said, oh, as in, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, I think, it sounds a bit wild, but I think TikTok might eat itself because it keeps developing new things. All like, right. I don't That's, know if you've seen okay, the music got it. platform. Okay. Yeah, no, noted as a theory, I like mm. it, thank you. Uh, Jackie, come on, TikTok's it, not going to be around forever, someone's going to knock them off their perch. God, no, I'm like, I'm your age. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not on TikTok myself. <laughs> I don't know, and I think if you would have told me that people would watch other people playing video games on Twitch for eight yeah, hours. Twitch. I would have, I would, no, 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 I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying if somebody would have said that to me five <laughs> years ago, eight years ago, I would have said you were crazy. Okay. Like I, I don't do not know what's coming down the road. I think the the game is like, you've got to be open. Right. So what we'll do is let, let's get some uh, questions coming in and we're, we're just really going to switch it up now. So we're going to go back onto a lot that Sabrina was talking about actually. Sabrina, why don't we chuck this to you? I'm a small business and I don't have a large turnover. Maybe that alludes to their budget for this. Can I still get press? Well, that's an um, interesting yeah, question. Yeah, okay. if you go back to your personal brand, you can go on uh, GoDaddy and you can create your own website for £10 a month on Wix. You can start posting on LinkedIn. That's a great way to start getting traction. And if you haven't got a budget to spend on PR, you can do it yourself and you can really start thinking about who speaks in your industry yourself. Got it. So, I, yeah, uh, okay, nothing against the questioner, but I, you're right, let's have another question. So, did any of the founders start their business whilst doing a full-time job? And how did they know when to leave their full-time jobs to give their business 100% commitment? Can anyone speak yeah. to that transition? Christina? Yeah, I did. So, um... I had, we had the concept of VAMP while we were like, I was on a placement year, so I was a placement, I had a placement at Canon and Google and I realised there was a need for it. So I went back to uni to finish studying, then graduated, then went to work for, I was a media buyer for a bit. Then I left and started VAMP like full time, but it was hard, but I think when you have the support from your team, who are like, obviously my managers were quite supportive, but sometimes you just have to take the leap. I was young, I was 23. I went to Vegas as soon as I left my job, <laughs> spent all my money, came back and I was like, okay, um, I need to actually work hard now. So <laughs> it was more of a push for me. I had no other option. And I know I was confident in myself that if that didn't work, I could have got, <clears throat> pardon me, to work for another company, but yeah. it did work, so. Because you probably had quite a cushy number actually, Tim, because you're with these amazing companies, Lad Bible, Social Chain. Yes and no. So after I left Social Chain, I went to work for an agency called Agency TK. So I was 21, I was in charge of the third of their agency globally, uh, but they basically broke a couple of promises. Um, and I, I had three clients that were already willing to pay me. And even then I was still petrified about taking the leap. So yeah. I never sort of envisaged myself as being
an entrepreneurial and you know five five years down the line and, and start starting a few different ventures Huge. now I think I've matured into that kind of mindset but yeah even with the most logical next steps of you have you're going to make more money you're going to work less you're going to work for yourself I was still really really scared at the time no very very honest reflection so uh, we'll get some questions from here uh, in our studio I'm looking out if you've got a question please raise your hand and we'll get a mic down um, I don't want to turn it into a negative chapter of the session but I do want to know some do nots some things to avoid mistakes you see let, let, let's maybe wander back towards social media because we, we, we need to know what to avoid right we've been very positive so far let's get this mic then gentlemen here and look, can I see some other hands as well actually um, I'll just stand by so just ho hold that thought get us going on the do nots Jackie if you would forgive me I mean, I think Alex mentioned it. I wouldn't do anything that's inauthentic to yourself. So, I mean, you don't see me on TikTok, even though all my all my brands use it. Like, it's just, it's really outside my comfort zone. It would look ridiculous for me to do something so like that. So have you tried it? I have, and I don't know how to make it work. I, like, I said, <laughs> I said something to my husband, and I was like, did you see it? And he's like, not sure. And then I tried Snapchat. It's just, it's not for me. I do email. I'm on Instagram. That's my, that's my jam. That's it. That's so, let, so, so on that question of authenticity, isn't personal change about trying on new clothes, about wearing new masks, about feeling your way, about being able to feel uncomfortable? Um, yes and no. So I, I think I push myself in other ways and I don't feel like being on TikTok and exposing everything about myself is like very important. All right. <laughs> and I'm, I mean, like, I'm actually not that much of a like private person but I don't feel like a whole bunch of strangers need to know like what I've had for breakfast <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> all right well others others will see TikTok in other way I did an event called TikTok for good by the way uh, just just saying which was about how charities have used that partnership and leverage very interesting uh, can I see other questions in the room I'm going to come right down the floor would you just mind sir would you just mind passing it across we will come to you thank you uh, hi, this is for Christina. I was interested to know, when you left and started your own business, were you a solopreneur and then made your first hire, or did you have a team ready to go from the get-go? So we were quite, well, I wouldn't say we were quite lucky, but there was three of us, so um, there's three of us. I'm a co-founder, so we were our team, basically. It was just us three, and I would encourage a lot of entrepreneurs to find a co-founder. I think you can go in at it solo, but two heads are better than one, three heads are better than one, and I know how we can all think I want this to be mine, but... Trust me, it just helps in the long run. Yeah. Yeah, they're really powerful. Wait, second question. Yeah, go on. Who would be your first hire? If you oh. do the same thing again, would you still hire the same position mm. first? Mm. Do you know what? I think initially when you start a business, you hire junior first because that's what you can afford. But then now we're on a, hiring, a managerial hiring spree because we found that we need the kind of people to think for us while we're out there getting the leads and stuff. Um, so looking back, I think I would have started with a junior again. So I think we kind of made the right decision. Yeah. Interesting. And where are you on sharing the love, sharing the shares? Or is that just disaster no, that way? Because we haven't actually had investment, but we, we turn over quite a bit of profit. I think in the, when we get investment, I think we're going to create like a pool for our employees because we've got 11 now, but it's our full team. Yeah, got it. Re really great questions. Let's pass it across the aisle. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, really good panel. Really enjoyed it. My name's Richard Edge. I'm a first time CEO and founder. Um, I've got to the stage of my business where everything is based on referrals and authenticity is really important to me. So when people pass the word on, it's great. I'm absolutely, I have fear of marketing and PR. So phobia, uh, phobia reality is probably what PR stands for for me. 
and I think it's going to cost loads of money and it's a really competitive market and I'll lose my authenticity because it takes me away from word of mouth. Any thoughts on and, that? And what, by the way, what you mean by that is, and that's a really clear question, but something appearing, which you end up reading and go, that's not me, and you're out of control. Yeah, so I had quite a big career around the world, so everything comes from that network. I'm no good at articulating what it is that I do, but people that have come across me right. and showcased so that. So let's bring, let's briefly, if I may, let's, Sabrina, why don't you come in on that, you know? Uh, right to be cautious, or are we able to soothe the fear you can be cautious and if your business is expanding from referrals that's amazing but how do you level it up and how do you scale it up for me it's about if you want to start doing more outbound and paid marketing you need to have that personal brand and maybe just a little bit different in the water you don't have to be everywhere but if you start the first article is always the hardest thank you and just a quick follow-up uh, i'd like to ask so my target audience are kind of mid to senior professionals, usually between the age of 40 and 16. It's a service business, not a product business. Is TikTok still the right platform for that? No. Good. I mean, it's, you're, you're, you're talking about like a B2B thing, right? Like, so TikTok... It's B2C, actually, because it's individuals rather than companies that come to me to progress okay. themselves. Well, and everyone I mean, on the panel that. has gone, I love TikTok. Some of my clients are actually execs at ByteDance uh, over in Singapore and China. Yeah, which course, owns TikTok. All right, so, so Flavilla, on that, let's assume, not putting words in your mouth, but if the answer was LinkedIn, what's your absolute top tip for smashing LinkedIn? Something we might not have thought of. Yeah, it's very interesting because most of my clients are B2B, so you are B2C, which is different, and I spend most time on LinkedIn. So first thing that people haven't mentioned is that be careful with these vanity metrics because there are people who have loads of likes and actually don't convert in anything. So really what you want to see is like what exactly is generating DMs, you know, purchase and so forth. So when you think about LinkedIn, think about am I sharing good value? If you go by the intention of just selling your stuff, people are not going to react. But if you share great value, thought leadership as well, that's how you come across as somebody who wants to speak to you. And, and as we talked about this, like, think about the story. If it doesn't have to be all on you. You have a team, right? So you can also make those super, those employees superstars. So do this as a, as a package. It doesn't have to be all on you. Can Marketing is, a, is an investment. If you see it as a, as a spend, as an expense, you will never go to, be able to take it further. See as an investment, it will always pay off if you're consistent and if you do it regularly and with clarity in terms of where you are and what you want to be known for. Thank you, Flavilla. Very good. Christina, please add to that. And then yeah. I've got questions on this conversion issue. Christina. I just wanted to back TikTok for one second in, your, in my argument, because I think that you have to remember that TikTok is not just a channel that people go on. It's also a place where people take content from. So, and you can also create content on TikTok as well. They've made it so easy easy to create content and edit and stuff. So you have to remember that even if your audience aren't on there, they're probably seeing content from TikTok. So you just have to think of that. Yeah, no, really good point. So Tim, on this conversion point, saying that we're getting so many likes, but where are the sales? Give us your top tips. How do we really fix that? Oh, that's a sales question. I mean, I think from a, a LinkedIn perspective, your, your online identity should be an extension of your, you know, re real person identity. And so again, you know, whether that's the, the kind of brand tone of voice way that you want to communicate in person, so, you can absolutely do that online. But why should it? Because, you know, Walt Whitman, I contradict myself, I contain multitudes. What's wrong with having a business persona, a business identity and a personal identity? Why are we so obsessed with mashing these 
journeys all together being one it's exhausting it absolutely can be but i'd say at the same time if it's an extension of you it, you you have clarity and coherency throughout the whole process you haven't got to go oh i need to put my linkedin head on today and i need to have my tiktok tiktok head so, on today so, do you know but sabrina you see all of the people under the age of 25 tell me the opposite at the moment they say no 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 ollie you're doing it all wrong you need two accounts your personal account and your business account. Is that what being real is about or is that what being fake is about? For me, it's just about creating that synergy between the brand and the personal brand. So having one or two accounts doesn't really matter, but depending on what you're using the platform for, I would say always focus on your personal brand and your business brand can come after. Okay, interesting. I'm going to radically change the subject because we talked about the metaverse, but for my liking, it was a bit vague yesterday. I think a couple of people have read an article in Wired or something. <laughs> Has anyone got a take on it that is provocative, that is first-hand? Christina? Oh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's all the way provocative yet, but I was going to say, I remembered after that, when you asked the question, was what's next after TikTok, I think... Not to say TikTok has peaked or social media, but I think it's now moving into Web3 Metaverse because we have to start thinking about that world now because that's where young people are. And one thing I'd say about this generation is they adopt things so quickly. They love new things. So Web3, NFTs, uh, Metaverse, crypto is something that they're really thinking about. And right. I think as, brand, as people who are agencies and people who own brands, we need to start thinking how can we get on there. And I've thought about how we might do it. So... And who would be your dream collaborator for that? Who would go with you into that metaverse? I'd love to take, um, I'm sure McDonald's already looking into it, but I'd love to take McDonald's into it. Because if you think about Fortnite, when they brought Travis Scott onto Fortnite, and that was a huge thing, yeah. that is how you should view the Web3 um, and the metaverse. So, so we're talking your language, Sabrina, and a, a look through your Twitter tells us that. Um, g give us Web3 for beginners. What's another way of saying it? Um, imagine kind of a, a virtual space. I think it's very interesting when brands actually bring in NFTs into what they're doing. I think that's kind of not the new TikTok, but the new way to go because that's going to get so much organic traction and it's really going to engage the community. So it's about how do you bring these brands to be virtual and also to give it worldwide scope rather than just uh, regional or national scope. <coughs> So, so my cheeky challenge would be, what do you say to someone who says, this is all very diverting and enjoyable, but not a single ounce of social good whatsoever? What do you say to that? Sabrina. Sorry, could you repeat the question? Yeah, so NFTs, the metaverse, all very interesting, all very engaging, I'm sure, but not a single bit of social good at all. No problem worth solving. Um, it, it, it's f t total fluff. For me, a lot of it comes down to actually creating efficiency when you have decentralized systems and smart contracts. So that's basically how do you take an existing system and make it more cost time efficient? And a lot of the different processes behind the scenes, apart from kind of the fancy artsy side of NFTs, it's actually what's the use case for different industries. Right. And it's so, very on, interesting. so on that, so what's your, sorry, forgive me for jumping in because we're short on time. What, what's your favorite real world example? Because I, I get a contradiction here, right? So what I hear is from particularly millennials, Gen, um, Gen Z, um, we want to make a difference. We want to change the world. So we have to hook these two concepts up together. Um, Sabrina, come back in and then Tim. Um, for me, I'm actually currently working on a blockchain project, which is about decentralized publishing on a wire. So it allows the community itself to put everything out without it being... Um, 
taken down by somebody else. So creating more transparency in the media world is very interesting. Got it. Uh, Tim, very briefly on this. Yeah, I, I don't think we can actually comprehend how important and vital, you know, even just the technology behind NFTs is going to be. You know, I think at the moment people think of expensive JPEGs and pictures of apes, but if you think from like a ticketing perspective, like instead of like getting ripped off if you go to a concert and you've, you know, been sold this fake ticket, actually proving that tran transaction through the blockchain, actually the creatives themselves can then get kickbacks. Yeah. You were talking about no social good. Actually, from a tokenization perspective, it's so much easier to, you know, reward communities or yes. actually donate funds based on earnings as well. So the future is going to be very exciting, but yeah. you know, where it is now is it's such a, you know, in its infancy that I just don't think we're anywhere near where, yeah, where yeah. it's going to end. And that's my hope. Now, now just a final, just a final thought, because we will wrap up in the next minute, but it's unfair to pick, but Christina, what do you say to our guests today tuning in who has the person they want to work with in their mind. We've heard about the power of referral. We've heard about dreaming big, and you have hit that dream client list. What, what do you say to them as a sort of final thought? Do you know, I would say pick up untraditional channels. The reason why we got our first client, Universal, was because we called them. And yeah. people don't call people anymore. Yeah. Do you know, I asked a multi-billion dollar company founder the secret to their financial success, and they actually said, writing letters. Yeah. We wrote letters to every VC we met in Silicon Valley. Word got round, and they got a call from one of the most famous VCs in the world, Sir Mike Moritz, saying, I'm interested in your style. Can we have a conversation? Mm. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, thank you so much. I wish we had like an hour longer. Uh, Christina, Flavilla, Jackie, Tim, and of course, uh, Sabrina as well. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, thank Christina. You. Thank you. Thank you. Well, as they leave the stage and go and get um, their second grilling uh, with uh, Hannah Prevett, I'll just say a huge thank you to all of those guests. Now, Hannah, uh, lots of food for thought. I was, I was stirring it up, as you, I hope you know, deliberately there. Uh, yeah, you play the contrarian really well, Ollie. Um, a great panel. Lots of talk of tech there. Made me feel like a right dinosaur. I'm not on TikTok, are you? Not yet, but I think you, me, Jackie Fast, I think we should, uh, <laughs> we should do a, what's it called? A, what's that dance they do? Don't worry, I won't go there. <laughs> I think it's probably best, but yeah, I'm looking forward to having uh, the team join me back here so we can dig a bit more into PR, obviously a bit of a kind of personal subject uh, for me as a journalist. So thinking about how they get their stories out to journalists like me, um, how they tell their stories <clears throat> how they choose what to speak about, what to leave out, and have they ever had any uh, negative press coverage. So I'll be looking forward to finding that out. Fantastic. I'll hand back to you, Hannah. We'll be back on the main stage with Digital Transformation at 10 to 11. Thanks, Hannah. Thank yeah. you very much indeed. Welcome, welcome to the backstage area. Tim, come and join me on this marker here. Hello, it's going very well, thanks. Do you enjoy that up there with all It was a lot of fun. I mean, amazing panel, I have to say. Um, yeah? Yeah, what, what a group of people to, to, you know, bless the stage with. So just tell us a little bit, in a little bit more detail about your business. How many people are you? Where are you based? Absolutely. So up north, Manchester, I um, have clients all over the world. So um, it's a performance marketing agency. It's just me. I'm white labelled by a lot of big agencies all over the world. One of the biggest independent spenders on Facebook ads in Europe. Mm -hmm. Spent over 100 million on advertising and have generated over half a billion in revenue. Very, very impressive stuff. And talk to us a bit about being based in Manchester, right? Because we get a little bit obsessed with London. Yes. You know, here we are in Kensington, right? Yep. I know. But as a journalist, I'm always trying to look outside of the M25 for exciting businesses I haven't heard of. But Manchester's a real hub for this stuff, isn't it? It is. I mean, I've very, been very lucky. So Lad Bible was based in Manchester. I was an early member of staff there. Social Chain based in Manchester, early member of staff there. So, you know, there is a real hub of, you know, digital agencies, digital businesses. So hub for e-commerce, especially from a logistics perspective. So 
there is a real buzz around the city for kind of new and emerging businesses, which is exciting. But I have to say, spending a lot of time in London, Manchester is no London. I think, you know, there is still that north-south divide a little bit. But, um, you know, there's still, you know, brilliant talent everywhere in the UK. Yeah. And what about um, kind of role models? So obviously, you know, you've worked for some really incredible uh, brands and we talked a lot about social chain. Sabrina mentioned Stephen Bartlett yeah. earlier. But, you know, kind of who inspired you? Oh, I mean, I'm very into my sport and lots of different sports. So I think, you know, take and also a big believer of, you know, taking little pieces from from, you know, different people within business, within sport. And, and you know, oh, I like their attitude or I like the way they handled that. I like the way that they, you know, bring other people with them. But I think for me, the, the biggest impact on, on my career was just that time at Social Chain. You know, we were, we were a startup and sort of getting that peek behind the curtain of, of what opportunities you can actually, you know, generate for yourself and how to sort of have that growth mindset, improve yourself, read the right books, you know, growing up from school you just never had that you kind of thought that these amazing people were just born like that whereas actually there's a whole lot of hard work and application of doing the right things consistently that you know generate some some pretty special results and have you got any tips so you say about reading you know Ooh. podcasts things like that what what do you listen to what i'm do you massively read? into podcasts um i think you know what a great way to have you know what a great medium to actually get the context and the nuance around what can be you know really complex topic topics um i think reading can be great and, and actually you know curating your your social media feeds from a twitter perspective from a LinkedIn perspective, all that information that you're taking in can be very valuable to just give you those, you know, aggregated gains. Mm -hmm. So have you got any specifics? Oh. Obviously, Stephen Bartlett, Diary of a CEO, I presume Steve's, you're yeah. a, a regular listener to I that am, one. yeah. Steve's one of my best mates, so yeah, that being Name dropping, like um, no, he, he is, I've, <laughs> I've known him for a long time. Um, I mean, he is he's phenomenal and, and he's been great, you know, if I've ever needed um, advice, so um, I can't tell other people to, yeah, just, just message him, but I think curating a, a core group of people around you that you can, you know, take advantage advice from, whether it's mentors, whether it's people that you respect in business or asking different people like, um, you know, just, just advice actually and, and listening. I think a lot of people enjoy talking, um, whereas actually, you know, just taking on information and sort of analysing it in your own way can be, can be really valuable and help you move forward. Being a bit of a sponge. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I was chatting to somebody in the VIP area before we came out here this morning and he's just started his business kind of five or six months ago and he was talking about burnout. Yes. And I think it's such an interesting topic and obviously, you know, doing everything yourself, you have amazing energy, but everybody, today. Um, <laughs> everybody has those difficult days, don't they? So how do you manage burnout? 100%. Like I was saying, um, you know, over the years, sort of five years now, I've got a lot of friends that are CEOs or in senior positions and just being able to sort of have that empathy, you know, I've, my friends from, from growing up aren't going to sympathize because I've you know got a pretty good life and I'm very lucky and they're going to ah you know what are you can complaining about we'd we'd kill for your opportunity so I think yeah curating those people that can give you honest feedback can go actually you know this is how I um, dealt with that situation everyone has down days and and I think you know uh, I actually did some therapy a couple of years ago not not because I had anything wrong with me but again just to sort of see how I could improve myself and the the two words that really resonate with me are sort of freedom and balance and and just sort of having that kind of identity of where I want to go and what you know makes me happy which is a you know big driver of me me on a day-to-day -day basis has been really key for for me moving forward that's some really great advice there thank you very much no Tim we're gonna have thank to you. move on but thank you which so much for, you can way. go off this way oh, or that, that, that way thanks very much <laughs> thank you hello Jackie Thank you so much for joining us. You look fabulous. Look at those shoes. I'm not sure if our viewers at home can see those shoes, but they are pretty spectacular. Um, so let's talk a bit about kind of the, the types of firms you're investing in. And also, I'm really interested when I've interviewed entrepreneurs recently about how it's changed during COVID. Like, obviously, they're doing a bit more video pitching and stuff. Yeah. How's that, how's that been? And do you think you can get the true measure of an entrepreneur if they're pitching to you on Zoom? 
So every investment we've made has been digitally. I haven't, I've literally just met founders recently, but we made the investments um, prior to um, meeting them in person. And we raised our fund completely digitally, actually. And, and this is probably the first kind of month or so that I'm actually meeting people in person. So it's been great for us um, because, you know, I can knock off like 10 meetings in a day, whereas in person I wouldn't be able to do that. So I think it's great. Um, and I think if you know what you're looking for, like, you know, I'm not investing just because I like the person or that the person has nice shoes. You know, like there's, there's more to what we choose when we make an investment in a startup. Yeah, of course. Um, do you think that there is still value of, like, will you do a hybrid approach or will you just only kind of see companies online What's what's going to be the method going forward? Personally, yeah, I would love to do everything online. Um, I I don't think that's realistic. But again, going back to our investment criteria, you know, we look at six different things, and none of it is do I like this person in real life. A lot of it is what is the revenue? Do they have traction? Um, do we like the talent? What's the rollout? These are like numbers and metrics. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I would want to be able to work with them, and therefore, a good Zoom is important, but a good face to face is not a critical thing for us to make a decision on whether we invest or not. The other thing I would probably say is, you know, we have a global perspective. And for us, at the moment, we have most of our investments based in America, but we're looking at one um, in Mexico right now. Um, and I'm looking at one in Saudi as well. So our ability to look at multiple investments in different regions allows us to do that digitally. Whereas if I was to meet everybody in person, it would just be, I mean, it would just be a shit show. Yeah, so. of course. And just one last question before we move on. The amount of VC money that goes into women-founded businesses is obviously pretty atrocious. Um, so do you think that, you know, what more can be done to kind of move the needle on that? Honestly, women investors. The, the issue, a big thing is, yes, of course, there's no women fund managers. Um, and you need women fund managers to actually have, like, the lens of what's important to all people. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I keep saying this. I'm relatively new in venture, but I have been in marketing and business for, you know, 20-plus years. Um, and I... I was even shocked, and I understand the numbers, and everybody knows the numbers, it's 4% of women that are fund managers. But actually, now that I'm in it, the scary fact is, is like, I really believe that if men had periods, we wouldn't be having periods now. Because what happens is, people fund the stuff that is important to them. And we've had a whole history um, of white males funding white male things. Um, and so you've got this real growth of female fund managers funding female founders with a female lens on businesses. So you see stuff like Maud coming up, um, Day, which has come from the UK, has just launched in the US. This is really an exciting time. But I mean, we're barely scratching the surface. I think literally I looked at the the stats recently is 4.7%. And for, for even to get to the 30%, which is a typical board perspective um, in terms of running publicly traded companies, fund management, like, I mean, to get to 30%, you're probably looking at a 10-year journey. So in that 10 years' time, how scary is it that we're missing a lot of opportunities with a female lens? It's bad. It's really bad. And a way to fix that really is women getting more invested. Female LPs into funds, into startups, is a way to at least get the voice from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I would really encourage any woman um, to really look into that as an option for investment. Mm -hmm. We had a woman on the panel yesterday, actually, at Masail from um, the uh, KK, so uh, Killing Kittens, as it was originally, and now they've moved online. And she said she has the double whammy of being a woman, but it's also branded as a, you know, like a sex brand or an adult brand. So then you have those two influences, which, you know, it's really tricky to get money from anyone. So um, who should somebody like her who's tried the banks, who should they reach out to? Is, again, is it, is it reaching out directly to female investors, perhaps? 
Uh, I definitely wouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> I think female founders should get money from everyone. And I don't believe that female investors just invest in female funds, but there are funds that really have an allocation for female founders and there's lots of them. And I mean, especially Killing Kittens is a UK brand, but there's a lot of really great funds based here in the UK, but there's a lot of great um, female fund led funds based in America that are looking at outside investment as well. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I wouldn't ever go to banks ever because banks are impossible to get money from unless you're a really standard typical business mm -hmm. that has got like a really standard typical turnover that they have seen previously. Killing Kittens is a completely different model. They don't you, can't, get it. you can't expect Barclays to understand that business model and then fund it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you have to be, kind of be realistic about where you get funding from. But ideally, it's an investor who understands your business model. Mm -hmm. I wish you'd been here yesterday on the panel with all the banks. Um, but thank you so much. We're going to have to move on. But Jackie, really great to meet you. Thank you very much. Uh, Flavilla, would you like to come and join me? Thank you so much, Jackie. Hi. Hi. Hello again. We meet in I real know, life. Pleasure. How yeah. exciting. Last time we met, it was um, on a Zoom call, right? When we, yes. were, we had the panel discussion. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am very good indeed. Thank you. So one of the things I want to talk to you about is your social media following. Obviously, you're very active on social media right yes, I am how much time do you spend on it so for people who are watching like it's it, it does I find it I'm, I'm I write for a living but writing a tweet can take me bloody ages because I yeah. feel like I have to say something profound or interesting or funny and none of these things come naturally to me so how <laughs> much time do you spend on it I probably say it would be not enough or, or too much it's in between I think I try to think in terms of how can I be consistent with what I'm saying and mm -hmm. what I'm trying to share the message I'm trying to share and it's, it's interesting because I have more than one business so uh -huh. trying to stay consistent but yes for me is that I try to be as much as efficient with my team because people think how do you have time to do all of these things I try to also have the support of my team to create the great content that represents as much who I am oh, yes. see that's interesting isn't it because I spoke to a founder recently who's, who has outsourced his LinkedIn yes. posting yes. and it was very interesting so this works often they will interview the founder right mm. they will get a whole bunch of content and then they'll kind of send it out on your behalf what do you think about that right. actually we do that for a lot of our clients because uh -huh. we're trying to help them build their own personal brand so we have to emulate who they are and quite often they don't know what to say they're scared of what to say Yeah. so we create stories we create uh, the visual and everything so you can do that if, but it takes some time Yeah. it happens really well and people can notice the difference and how do you make sure it's authentic right because it can it, it, authenticity came up on the panel yeah. just now because it needs to sound like it's you even if it's yeah, not you absolutely the first thing is the conversation with the person itself who they are and see how they address to the audience and try to emulate that so I'm very sarcastic funny so whoever embraces who I am if it's not me you know they have to, to use the same approach and some of our clients are very direct or some of them are very business focused so really understanding the personality as a business every business has a, a brand personality such as an individual mm -hmm. so we try to emulate the same thing but it is doable mm -hmm. with just practice and good conversation and then getting through back and forth with a client. Does it sound like you? Yes or no? And then carrying through for that. Okay. It and it's kind of a collaboration, right? Is it it's a collaboration yeah. at the beginning and then after that it becomes very natural and they don't have to think about it. It's like, did I say that? <laughs> and just one quick thing before you go. So you mentioned you've got a number of businesses, right? And obviously when you were up there, you were talking about uh, your main business, Three Colours Rule, but you were involved in all these amazing initiatives yeah. like Tech London, Advocates, uh, Black Women in Tech. Can you just tell our audience at home who haven't heard about that, what it is you're up yes. to? Yes, so Black Women in Tech, 
uh, now called Global, Black, Global Tech Advocate, should I say correctly, 10,000 individuals across the platform. We grew it without any budget whatsoever, and the brand advocacy is so strong. So we're doing some great things, such as creating books to inspire the next generation to start a career in technology, and that's fantastic. And yeah, we work with most amazing brands from Marketing Express to Google and so forth, and that's just from emotional marketing, which is something I, touch, I teach about. Mm -hmm. And so just quickly, does your like brand and your, um, you know, kind of public image, does that help to kind of absolutely. further the cause of all those things you're working yeah, in? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you're in your own business, you can be free to say whatever you want with nobody firing you. And I think my big mouth I took me a long way. <laughs> I have to be honest. I, have, I say what I think and people know me for that. I think it's me being French. So that attitude is also part of my personality and people love people who are provocative and, and are vocal. So that's what I've always done and it pay off. And you know, I'm not afraid to say when I believe it's not right. Yeah, absolutely. What about, do you have investors? Because you say that you're free to say what you yeah. want, but if as soon as you have investors or if you have a majority investor, you know, yeah. that can be tricky. I'm a solo entrepreneur. I never took any money, bootstrap, did everything. Um, Amazing. myself and I'm so proud to have a team who's, who's there and supporting me as well and you know I'm power of the next generation which is so nice so yes I'm probably one of this person that actually did all of that by myself that is absolutely amazing. I think that by myself, but yeah, started all by myself, but with support of a team. Of yeah, of course, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> but that is still very impressive indeed. Well, Flavilla, it was lovely to meet you Same in real again. life. See you soon. I'll see you very soon. Thank you. Hello. Last but Hello. by no means least. Nice to meet lovely you. Nice to meet you. So let's talk a little bit about kind of your journey. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so how many people have you got working with you now at Van? Uh, so we've got 11 now, but soon to be uh, 14 in April. And where are you based? Uh, Tottenham Court Road, so Central London. Ah, fun, Central yeah. London, I remember those <laughs> yeah. times. So do you like, uh, you're going to have to say this now because you're talking to one, but do you like talking to journalists? Do you know what, I, we actually do. Journalists have been very supportive of what we do and, and us. They've really been the foundation of how Van was built, yeah. So how have you had, so talk about some of the kind of coverage you've had, some of the yeah. interviews you might have done? Uh, so what we did was, I think we were kind of, and we're happy to say we're one of the first um, agencies to kind of pair black talent from films with black journalists and we're very specific to um, big publications that when they want to work on the films that we're working on that we need a black um, journalist if they're speaking to black talent because we just find that just works so much better and for example with Black Panther we had um, a black journalist interview um, two of the stars and it was like two black journalists and two of the stars and it just did so well on Facebook it got like two million views in like the first week oh. and who uses Facebook <laughs> you know yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what about you personally as a founder um, do you like, you know, have you told the story of how you started the agency yeah. and all that kind of stuff? Does it come with nerves? Do you get nervous before you talk to a journalist? Do you have to watch what you say? Oh, do you know what? Actually, not really because we are celebrating five years this, um, this year and we've had to speak to a lot of journalists and we're very open and honest about our journey because it's kind of unconventional. Like we bootstrapped three founders. We met at university. We started the business while we was like working. Then we left our jobs and it's just been a ride since then. So we're happy to like share the story with like journalists yeah yeah and um what is like some of your favorite pr what's some of the favorite stories that journalists have written about you um i think it was in forbes so they did a kind of uh, article about us in forbes about how we're like kind of revolutionizing digital talent um because we've taken our, our talent on a journey from being influencers on instagram to being on tv having their own shows and and being podcasters so um they talk about that a lot which i kind of love because yeah 
And what about kind of managing that message? So Ollie touched on this earlier. Mm. And it's funny, as a journalist, I get asked quite a lot, can I have copy approval? Can I see the article <laughs> before it goes in the newspaper? And the answer is always absolutely not. I mean, <laughs> I barely get to see the article before it goes in the exactly. newspaper. It's total editorial control. Um, but I can see why, as a founder, you might be nervous, especially if you don't do a lot of PR mm. about what they're going to write because you know you talk for an hour and they take several quotes you might not feel they're in context etc mm. you kind of have to let go don't you and just yeah. kind of trust them yeah, exactly and our head of PR Ruby she's got a lot of great relationships with journalists from a lot of different publications and we kind of have that trust for them I think there's a difference between back in the day when people were like gossip journalists and now when people actually genuinely care because I think a lot of journalists are held accountable for what they write now mm -hmm. so we kind of trust in, in that, you know, I don't know how it affects you, but um, it's quite good for us. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, social media, we're all much more kind of publicly available, mm. right? Somebody recently got in touch with me to tell me how much they disliked one of the stories yeah. I wrote on Twitter. Um, not for any particular kind of, you know, there was no malice or whatever, but, you know, it's interesting. It's more of a two-way dialogue yeah. than it once was. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, of course, the number one rule is never read the comments. Yeah. Um, absolutely don't read the comments. Do you read the comments on the stories that are written about you? Um, not all the time, sometimes. No, no, I try not to because I, I manage influencers. Imagine their comments. I've seen how what they've had to go through. So myself, I would just rather not put myself in there. So let's talk a little bit about influencers because mm -hmm. I find this absolutely fascinating. And I recently interviewed Ed East. Do you know him? He's founded Billion Dollar Boy. So they're a big influencer agency, oh, one of no. the fastest growing in Europe. Um, and he's talking a lot more about the creator economy. Because influencers get a really hard time, yeah. right? The, the word influencer, you think of kind of reality TV stars yeah. kind of living it up in Dubai or whatever. Um, <laughs> but actually, they work really hard exactly. and it's a proper job, isn't it? So tell us about influencers that you have on your books and yeah. what perhaps might be surprising for our audience at home. So our influencers work very hard and I think in general, you have to work hard to kind of get where you want to be. And I think it's easy to say influencers are, have an easy ride just because, you know, they kind of create content in their bedroom and it goes out to millions of people and they make money from it but you have to see the hard work that goes into that like sacrificing a lot of them have left their jobs and they're doing it full time a lot of them are taking care of their families a lot of them don't come from and um, they come from low economic backgrounds so like they're, they're taking care of their family taking care of people so they're working really hard but I think Marion Musa is someone that we manage and we've known her from university and she's kind of grown and developed and she takes care of a lot of people in her life and she's also started her own business from being an influencer and I think it's hard to start a business, so it, it, I don't know. I don't know how people would want people to explain how hard life is to make, like, have a business. Because being an influencer is a business. You have to think about your accounting. You have to think about your legal. You have to think about mm -hmm. how your cash flow is. So just think about that when you want to. Yeah, <laughs> when you when you get out there yeah. on TikTok, uh, coming to TikTok <laughs> near you soon. Mm -hmm. um, so um, let's talk a little bit about about you as an entrepreneur and how you manage because you were just saying how hard it is to manage like mm. your life as an influencer and all these things you have to do you it's even harder you've got 11 people yeah. you said you're an entrepreneur like do you work like tell us what's a day like in your mm. life are you working insane hours do you know what before I used to work in crazy hours but I think you know that work hard and work smart and work hard I mm -hmm. think that's what really kind of changed in my life because 
also, as a business, we can be very stingy with hiring people. We think we can do it all ourselves. I think that's why a lot of entrepreneurs work throughout the night and, and work insane hours, but delegate work to other people, hire people. It takes from your profits, or, but hire people because, you know, it's, it's better for your mentors, it's better for your business in general. There's diversity of thought that we need to think about. Just you as a founder thinking that you know everything. Like, I don't know where you think you will get, how far you think you'll get without hiring people who are from different backgrounds and know different things. So, yeah, it's a lot to think about, but I think now I've got to a space where we've got 11 people, we've got a great structure, my co-founders are amazing, and I've got a great support system as friends as well. And what about, so hiring people? Yesterday we had a session on hiring mm. freelancers and a couple of people have mentioned it, like outsourcing bits so that you, it might cost you more perhaps on a day rate, mm -hmm. but actually it's less, it's not a, a fixed cost, right? Which is what you see yeah. on the P&L. So, um, you know, do you hire, do you work with freelancers as well or are they always permanent staff positions? So we work with freelancers, we work with interns, we were, did the Kickstarter scheme, a lot of the mm. Kickstarter scheme um, uh, employees ended up being full-time employees, which was quite great. Um, but yeah, we work, use a variety of um, things. And I think with freelancers, it's always important, like I said, diversity of thought to bring in people who are from different businesses who are potentially working on other projects that can kind of bring in ideas and, and, and visions from other brands. But I think, yeah, it's, it's great to hire different types of people, but you want to have your core team and people that you kind of trust mm -hmm. day to day that have your back. And what about, say, I'm interested to know what you thought of the Kickstart scheme, because I've heard really mixed reviews. I wrote a big piece about it for the oh, paper, actually. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, um, I'll send it over to you. But yeah, what was your experience? Because as far as I can tell, with smaller businesses, big businesses, works great. Mm. Smaller businesses, not so good. What yeah, so we view? had a couple of issues with the Kickstart scheme. I think it's about the recruitment companies that they've worked with. I think not them were well-equipped. They kind of just saw an opportunity to kind of maybe make profit and they didn't really care about the businesses that they were helping and I think we found some great people and that is the benefit and in the way I see vision and, and look at life is that the good has to outweigh the bad and I think the type of people that we found from the scheme outweighed the kind of what we had to go through with the recruitment companies yeah Oh, really? That's mm. interesting. Um, so one question I'd like to ask you that I asked um, somebody else earlier and it cropped up in our VIP networking reception this morning, again, was around that kind of burnout and avoiding burnout. But also when you have a really hard day as mm. a founder, something hasn't quite gone your way, maybe you've lost a client, like how do you pick yourself back up again? Do you know, I lean on my co-founders. I think it's, like I said in the panel, it's very important to have a support system around you. I think sometimes people go to social media to vent their anger but I go to my co-founders to talk about how I feel you know and um, I always think that there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel you know there's other clients just kind of work harder to kind of gain them you know so I'm just a bit optimistic that's what I think. I love <laughs> yeah. that optimism is absolutely the best uh, the best way here and what about um, so kind of mentors and, mm -hmm. and role models who was your uh, inspiration if you like yeah. and now the thing is you're probably a bit of a role model for yeah. others do you feel comfortable with that? Yeah, I think now I feel comfortable with it. I think before I was kind of like, what do I even know to be someone's role model? But then I realised it's about the journey. Some people are very interested and inspired by the journey of what you've done. And um, yeah, I've had some mentors and was, my friends are going to know I'm going to say this, but Beyonce is my ultimate mentor, even though I don't know her, you know, but it's kind of like the journey of... Yeah 
being a businesswoman, a talent to a businesswoman. I just love that journey and Oprah as well. So. And we yeah. can all, you can get inspiration from all sorts of exactly. places, can't you? And I'm inspired every day. I'm inspired by you. I'm inspired by all those people on the mm. stage. I think you're doing an amazing job. Well, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Really great to meet you. Please do you stay do. in touch. Thank Christina. you. I want to read your article as well. Okay. All right. Do it. Read <laughs> the Times. Get a subscription. Uh, thank you very much. And that's that for now. So thank you very much for joining us over here backstage for those final few interviews with the panellists um, from our session on brand building and how you market yourself. Uh, just a reminder of our next keynote, which will be with Danny Stefanik, CEO of Mootup, which is a virtual and hybrid event platform. So looking forward to that. Uh, he'll be right back with you after a short break. Thank you. Thank you.